Welcome to the VBAC Link Podcast. We are a team of expert doulas trained in supporting VBACs, have had VBACs of our own, and work extensively with VBAC women and their providers. We are here to provide detailed VBAC and cesarean prevention stories and facts in a simple, consolidated format. When we were moms preparing to VBAC, it was stories and information like we will be sharing in this podcast that helped fine-tune our intuition and build confidence in our birth preparations. We hope this does the same for you. To hear more about us and to hear our individual VBAC stories, be sure to check out episodes 1, 2, and 3. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Good morning, women of strength. Happy Wednesday. We are so excited, as usual, to be here today with you. My name is Julie Frankham, and this is the VBAC Link Podcast. We are on episode number 23 with our friend Jenny Dunlap. When Jenny talked to us first about sharing her story, it just kind of really got me excited because she kind of had the birth that I wanted to have with my fourth baby. Um, My plan was to... This was before I decided to do a home birth again. Um, we were going to go to the hospital, and my plan was to drive around in the parking lot of the hospital in my van and then push the baby out and then go inside right after the baby was born, like with my doula. Me and my doula were ready to go, and my husband was just like, not on board. So we had, long story short, we ended up switching to home birth and didn't have to worry about that. But Jenny got pretty close to having that experience. I'm just going to let her go ahead and share that story with you and tell it in the best way because this is just really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and I'm really excited to share my story because when I was pregnant with Ella, my second, I listened to so many podcasts and read so many books because I was determined that there was no way I was having another C-section. It was super traumatic for me and Thank God it all worked out this time around because I probably would have, I I don't know what would have happened if I had another C-section. I was so determined not to. So I'll start with my, I'll do a quick rundown of my first birth since it wouldn't be a V-back without the C-section. So in 2014, I was pregnant with my son. Again, I'm sure like this is a theme you hear a lot. We watched the business of being born. And decided that we wanted to have a birth with no intervention. Um, and we took a hypnobirthing class and we were going to give birth at a birth center. And so I was 41 weeks when I went into 41 and a day when I went into labor. And I just had a really long labor. I was in labor for 33 hours, unmedicated. And we were at the birth center. So I mean, there wasn't even an option for medicine. But I'm a very stubborn person, so also once I, you know, kind of decided I wasn't going to, I wouldn't change my mind. And anyway, at like probably about 31 hours into it, they suggested that they could break my water and it might speed things up. And at that point, I was I was so tired. I like didn't even know how to breathe anymore. They kept like putting the oxygen on me, and I just was I just didn't even know what was happening anymore. So they broke my water, and it turned into this like never ending contraction. And then I was 10 centimeters and they were like, you have five minutes to push him out before the ambulance gets here because his heart rate's dropping. But I didn't have, now that I have 
had another child, I know that I didn't have the urge to push yet. So I was trying to push, but nothing was happening. And the ambulance came, rushed me to the hospital, all under kind of the pretense that it was just that they were just going to monitor me there, that they weren't going to do anything yet. And as soon as we got there, they were telling my husband that he needed to go sign me in. And he's like, no, I'm not leaving my wife. Somebody has to be here to advocate for her. And they basically like forced him to go register me. And when he came back, they had the IV in me, like people had their hands inside of me. It was just like so much was going on. And they were like, we're, we're going to do a C-section right now. And um, they had to put me under because I didn't have any medication. And when they were trying to get me to sign the consent for that, I was like literally still having this contraction that just, I mean, it was just really horrible. And so they started screaming that I was a non-communicative patient because it took me like a second to sign the paper, which was so frustrating because it felt like nobody was even, it felt like I wasn't even in the room. They were deciding all of this without telling us anything and so you know after that it just felt like really traumatized by that and my son was in the NICU for four days because of his blood sugar we just had like a really bad experience at the hospital never felt like anybody was like nice to us at all I knew like I didn't ever want to have another c-section again it was just very like emotionally traumatizing and I think part of it was because I had set my mind on the complete opposite birth and basically I had every intervention, <laughs> you know, that you could have when we didn't want to have one in the first place. So anyway, a couple of years later, I guess, let's see, in 2017, um, I got pregnant again and I ended up having a mis- miscarriage, which if any listeners don't know what that is, it's when your body doesn't realize that the, um, that the baby is no longer alive or growing. And so that happened basically like right after my like eight and a half week appointment and I didn't find out until I went for my nuchal scan at like 12 weeks and my husband was out of town so again just like a very upsetting situation so like find out that there was no heartbeat anymore and my husband was like all the way across the country and I hadn't really told anybody that I was pregnant so I didn't have anyone to like tell that I wasn't pregnant anymore and then I think about six months later we got pregnant again and that was with Ella and so I was you know very hesitant with that because I was worried something could happen again so I I didn't announce it until I was like 20 weeks along and and then you know that's when I was really like doing a lot of reading and listening to podcasts and just knowing that I didn't want to have a c-section I was going to have a v-back so I was talking to doulas and I found a doula that I just like absolutely loved and she just I think more than anything, like gave me a lot of confidence and gave just felt like the right person that could help my husband give me what I felt like I needed from him. And so that all ended up working out really well. The whole pregnancy was very healthy. I found out that I was GBS positive. I think they do that around like 36 weeks, if I remember, 37 maybe. And that was kind of like devastating to me to hear that because I, I had this plan where I just wanted to show up at the hospital like pretty far along so that I wouldn't be like subjected to any interventions. Uh, I just felt like the longer we were in the hospital, the more chance there was for an intervention. And with the practice that I was with, they require you to have constant monitoring if you're having a VBAC and they didn't have any wireless monitors. 
So in my head, I just couldn't envision like being relaxed in this hospital room where I'm like two feet from the monitor for hours, you know, just it didn't feel like it was going to end in a good situation. So, you know, my husband and the doula were like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll deal with it when, as it happens, because if my water broke, we had all agreed that like, yeah, we were going to have to go in. But if my water didn't break, then they basically, I felt like they were being very vague with me about when I needed to come in. And I was trying to get like, I mean, I know they can't give you a number because you don't know how long your labor is going to last, but I really wanted like more information because I didn't want to show up too soon and then feel like they were pushing any kind of intervention. So I tried to just be very relaxed about that and just, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And we'll do what we need to do and, you know, we'll make it as relaxing as possible. And my husband was very, um, you know, really tried to make me realize, like, if you have to get an upper door, like, it's not the end of the world. Like, why would you even care about that? It's like a V-back you want, not, you know, the unmedicated. But for me, it felt like if I, with my son, I had gone unmedicated to 10 centimeters and then I didn't get to have that birth. So I wanted to be able to do that. So it was important for me. I was about three days before my due date um, when I woke up one morning and I was having like very mild contractions and I wasn't timing them or anything. That was another like big takeaway from the last labor was that I was going to basically deny that I was in labor as long as possible again because it was such a long, such a long labor that I wanted to like make sure I was really in labor and in active labor before I started like paying attention to it. And I had made this whole list of, like, things that I could do when I was in labor. Like, um, I had bought this, like, thousand-piece puzzle, and <laughs> I really wanted to watch, like, Bad Mom's Christmas. So I had not watched that yet, and I I can't remember what else was on there. Like, a walk and just random things that I could do to distract myself. And so that day I had a doctor's appointment. So I walked there. It's like a 25-minute walk in my neighborhood. And they asked if I wanted to be checked. And I said no, because I knew that, like, if I wasn't dilated, I'd probably be discouraged. And if I was, then I might get my hopes up. So I just totally declined it and felt good about, like, not knowing what was happening. But I did mention that I might, that I was kind of feeling something. So they were like, okay, well, maybe we'll see you soon. I was walking home, and I felt like the contractions were picking up a little. So I did kind of look at my watch and they were like six to eight minutes apart so I went home and then I texted the doula and I kind of debated a lot in my head like should I even say anything like this could be it could still be like days it could be nothing but then I was like I better just let her know what's happening so I texted her and she was glad that I did and I told her I was going to try and take a nap which I just can't ever nap no matter how tired I am so I just laid there and I was listening to uh, like some meditations and they still stayed at like six to eight minutes apart. So finally I started watching my bad mom's Christmas and then I had to go pick my son up from school around six. And I was thinking that when I got him that the contractions might slow down because I had read that that happened a lot. Like if your other child is around, your body kind of stops, but I picked him up and everything kind of was still at the same pace. And when I got to the school, there was, they said um, that school was canceled the next day because there was a nor'easter coming. And so I was kind of freaking out about that because our labor plan for him for 
if I went into labor during the day was that he would be at school and then we would have somebody pick him up. And my husband and I had kind of been arguing about that over the weekend because I wanted to know like exactly he he had decided that he was going to handle that. So I wanted to know exactly who was going to pick him up. And he tells me and I'm like, well, but does she work this day? And what happens then? And what are you going to do in this scenario? And he's just like, I've got it covered. I've got it covered. And kind of finally, I was just like, okay, you've got it covered. You've got it covered. That night, I was like, I'm going to try to go to bed early just in case this is something. I was still thinking like it could just totally stop. So I had a little bit of like red wine to try and relax because I do tend to have trouble sleeping when I'm like excited or anxious about something. And then my husband wanted to, he did want to go ahead and pack our hospital bags, which we mostly packed and pack a bag for my son. He still didn't think that the baby was going to come anytime soon. He thought I had like, <laughs> like, like days and days and days. And that when I did go into labor again, it was going to last days. Um, and he had a breakfast that was like an hour away the next morning. And then he had meetings all day. And so I go to bed and around like midnight, I woke up and couldn't sleep anymore. And then at like 1.45, I was laying in bed like and really having to breathe through the contractions. And I also got really hungry. So I asked my husband if he could get me a snack. And so he comes back and he tells me that I shouldn't be like breathing through them at this point, that I shouldn't be focusing on them because it's way too early for that. And I'm like, what? Like, no, it's not. No. And and he's like, no, it's like, it, it could be days. Like, you can't tire yourself out, like, breathing through them. And I'm like, I have to breathe through them. So a little backstory here. I had asked him to read um, The Birth Partner. He didn't. And so then as it got, like, closer and closer, I just, like, marked certain sections that I wanted him to read and just kept reminding him that I really wanted him to, like, read through those parts. So that night, he had picked up the book for the first time and started reading it. We're laying in bed, middle of the night, he's telling me not to breathe through them. And he tells me that they're Braxton Hicks. And I'm like, no, they're not. And he's he's like, I'm going to go get the book. So he goes and gets the birth partner and shines his iPhone light, because we're in the dark, on the book and is showing me the section about non-progressing contractions are called Braxton Hicks. And I'm I'm just laying there like, are you kidding me? Like, first of all, they are progressing. In my head, I'm thinking they're probably like five minutes apart at this point. And so I just get so frustrated with him that I go and lay on the couch. And I'm just like, you know, it's like, how... It's frustrating. Like, you're never going to be in labor. You've never been in labor. And, <laughs> and yet, now you're you telling know, me I'm not in labor. You know that I'm not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm, like, laying on the couch. You rock. And I'm, <laughs> exactly. And it was just, like, one of those things that, like, you know, someday you'll laugh at, but right then you're, like, so just upset. <laughs> so I go, I lay on the couch, and I was listening to, like, meditation, and they are getting, like, First, they were like six minutes apart, then five minutes, and then four minutes, and then I couldn't just lay there anymore, so I put Bad Mom's Christmas back on to finish that, and I'm like leaning over the like TV table and like swaying my body to each contraction that like really helped me deal with it. And then at like 5.45, I went and asked my husband if he would get up and come hang out with me, 
And they were probably like three to four minutes at this point. So I also wanted them to call the doula. And I wanted them to cancel his breakfast. But I, I mean, again, looking back, it's like, what was I thinking? I still was in denial that like it was happening and it was happening quickly. So I didn't say anything about him canceling his breakfast. And he calls the doula. And I guess she could kind of hear me in the background. So she's like, oh, no, the baby's coming today. Like, you need to you need to cancel your meeting. And so then my son wakes up, which was like two hours earlier than he normally wakes up, because now it's like six o'clock. And so my husband had said to the doula, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to read some books and watch TV with Landon and blah, blah, blah. And she she said she was like, okay. And in her head, she was like, no, you should be, like, getting him out of the house. But she didn't say anything because she was like, yeah, of course he's going to, like, then get him somewhere. So I tried to go back to bed and I, like, lay with my son while he's, you know, still my only baby. He just, like, is not the type that will lay in bed after he's awake. So that lasted, like, two minutes. And then I tried to, like... tried to stay in bed for a little bit longer and the contractions slowed down a little bit at this point but they got like a lot more intense so around like seven o'clock the doula was gonna start heading over to our house and uh, my husband was gonna take our son into the city to our friend's house and so Landon's got his coat and his boots on and he keeps asking if they're about to leave and I and I, my husband comes in the bathroom and he looks at my phone where I'm timing the contractions and they're two and a half minutes apart. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go take land. And he kind of, he like walks out to the door and then he comes back in and he's like, but I feel like I shouldn't leave you at this point. Like, are they, he's like, they're really like this close together. And I'm like, yeah, they are. So I get in the shower. I like just stay in the shower for a while and he realizes that he can't leave me so he asks our friend to come drive over to our house if I haven't mentioned that the snowstorm has already started now um so she's got her toddler with her and she's also pregnant and we're asking her to like come pick up our son in the middle of a snowstorm you know which is exactly not the ideal situation at this point we're still waiting for the door to come I think she probably showed up around like eight o'clock I get out of the shower, get dressed, and then she comes, and she's looking at the phone, realizing it's really close together. And so there's kind of talk about how my husband might have to meet us at the hospital and that maybe we'll go ahead without him. But I didn't really want to do that. And also, I just kind of didn't really want to go anywhere, you know? You're just kind of like, I don't know, not not really comfortable, but you don't want to move. So we're still like waiting for her to come. But and in my head, I'm also not saying this out loud, but you know, you're thinking a lot of things but you just don't have the capacity to say them. I'm thinking, okay, well, my doula knows that I'm GBS positive and we are supposed to be at the hospital like four hours before birth, so I still have a long time to go if she's not like saying that we need to leave. So in my head I'm thinking like I've got hours and hours of this left and this is terrible. I'm not I'm, I'm, I don't want to do this for hours more. And so I start getting like really, really hot and we go like in front of the back door with the back door open. I'm like leaning over the yoga ball, just like watching the snowfall, which, you know, in any other situation would have been really beautiful, but it's like I just had this, I feel like all of the labor was in my hips. And so I just, this like intense intensity in my hips that, you know, it just, 
so strong. And again, I'm thinking I have hours of this left to go. And the doula kind of looks at me and she's like, what are you thinking? And I was like, I'm thinking I have no idea why I wanted to do this about drugs. And like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and she's like, just breathe, just breathe. You're doing great. You're doing great. You're almost there. So we're still waiting for our friend to come get our son. And But they're realizing now that, like, we're going to have to leave, like, as soon as she gets there. And so my husband, so they're, like, get it, trying to get me a sweater to put on under my coat because um, it's freezing out. And so my husband keeps bringing sweaters into the living room. And I'm like, not that one. And then he'd come in with another one. I'm like, no. And then he'd bring another one. I'm like, no. <laughs> and then I, and then like I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like I'm so hot like you're gonna be lucky if I even put my coat on like I'm not putting a sweater under my coat. <laughs> so then I'm just like leaning over the couch like trying to bring me all these sweaters and like just no 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 sweaters. And then I like kind of felt something wet but I didn't think it was like my water breaking. But I'm like I'm gonna go to the bathroom and kind of check what's going on. So I finally get myself to the bathroom, and as soon as I get on the toilet, I feel like I have to push. Then our friend gets there. She picks up. My husband goes outside to hook up the car seat. And at that point, I'm, like, on the toilet, like, trying to push. And so my doula says, like, you know, I'm going to fill up the tub, and we're going to have the baby here. She's like, it's okay. I've delivered a baby before. She's like, we're going to call the paramedics, and we'll have the baby here. And I'm just like, okay, like, if that means that I can take these boots and these sweatpants off, like, I will do anything. Like, I'm just, I was so hot. I didn't want to move. Like, absolutely did not want to move. So my husband comes in, and she walks out into the bedroom, and I can hear her telling him, like, okay, so we're going to have the baby here. We're going to fill up the tub. And he just goes, absolutely not. He goes, I'm going to back the car up. <laughs> you know, you're in Brooklyn, you're not like parked in your driveway, your car's down the street. So he goes, Oh yeah. <laughs> he goes outside and <laughs> the duel is trying to get me up and I'm just like, I don't want to move. And then we hear this beeping, this just like incessant beeping and we both look at each other and I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like if he, he's out there like beeping and he thinks we're just going to come out. <laughs> and <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So he comes in the house, and he's, fortunately it wasn't him beeping. Somebody was beeping at him because oh. uh, he was just, like, parked in the middle of the road. <laughs> so he's like, get in the car. And I'm like, I, I don't want to go. He's like, hostel is five minutes away. He's like, get in the car. So they get me in the car somehow and, like, leaning over the back of the seat, just, like, and she's like, don't push, just blow. So she's trying to get me to, like, blow. So I'm just every contraction like blowing but then at the end of it I'm pushing because I just can't help myself like there's no way to stop it so he drops us off in front of the hospital and we're like crossing the street and I have a contraction like I'm leaning against this jeep in the middle of the snowstorm and my water breaks right there in the street so then we like walk in the hospital and these people come up to me because I'm like leaning against the wall and they're like are you okay and it's like do I look like I'm okay like I <laughs> Clearly, nine months neighbor. pregnant. Like, like <laughs> I, I'm not even going to answer that question, you know. Like, I'm just looking at them. So, and also, we never called to tell the doctor or the hospital that we were in labor and I was coming. Just kind of like, I think we were literally, like, in denial until the point where it was like, okay, like, we have to leave right this second. We get into the elevator. I'm in the wheelchair, but I, like, cannot even sit. I have my whole body, like, lifted up, and I'm trying to, like, blow and not push and there happened to be a nurse in the elevator that um, came up to triage, and she was she was one of the nurses that delivered the baby. 
so this part is pretty crazy too. So I found out at my six week postpartum checkup that she wasn't even an L and D nurse. She was just like a nurse from another part of the hospital and ended up oh, like my gosh. coming up and staying with us. And I had no idea because she was great. <laughs> we get to triage and they like take off my pants and they just put the gown on over my shirt. So when I ended up like actually having Ella, like all my clothes were like wrapped up in the gown. <laughs> we were like trying to pull my shirt off and yeah right and so they check me and I'm 10 centimeters so they take me to the delivery room and the doula is still telling me like to blow but then the midwife is telling me that I can push if I don't want to wait and I'm just kind of like what am I waiting like I didn't know what I was waiting for and then I realized like my husband was still parking the car and that's what they meant to wait for (laughs) (laughs) so he only took like a couple more minutes and then they're telling me I could push, but I was so confused about the breathing. I kept like letting it all out instead of holding it. And I just felt like I was doing like such a bad job with that because I was waste. I felt like I was just like wasting these contractions because I was letting the breath out. And then I'm like, Oh wait, I did that wrong. And it's like, I had people talking to me from every angle and then the machines are really loud. And I just like didn't know who to listen to. And it was very confusing. So then I'm like holding up my legs and my hips were just, it was, such intense pain in my hips and then like the first push the first real push I stopped like halfway through it and then it was just like this that's what this feels like like no like uh, uh, uh you want me to do that <laughs> it was just so like it felt like my it, it like feels like you're like tearing your body apart and so they were like coaching me through it and they tell me to reach down and feel her head and it was just like oh my god it was so tiny that it, it just felt crazy and my husband was like really encouraging and just it was like the look on his face was just like great to watch because he's just like you're doing it it was like he was just so amazed by what was happening and like I really didn't think he was going to look down there and I didn't really like want him to either but it was just like the look on his face was just like it was just amazing watching it so I pushed like a few more times and then they said that her heart rate was dropping and again, that was the reason that I had the emergency C-section with my son. So I was like kind of freaking out when I hear that. So they suggested like a small episiotomy and I didn't really want it. So I was like, can I try to push again? So I push again and the heart rate was still dropping. You know, I didn't realize that like at this point I was so far along that like there was no way a C-section was an option. The doula had kind of said later, like she's like, I wish I knew you were thinking that because I would have told you. Like, that baby was coming out down there no matter what, um, because I probably would have asked if I could, you know, push a little longer. But anyway, so we ended up doing, like, a little episiotomy, and I pushed one more time, and she came out, and um, put it on my chest, but, like, my shirt and my bra were stuck in the gown, so we were kind of trying to pull everything off, and my husband got to cut the cords, and she was crying, and I was, like, amazed that I did not cry, because... Every time I thought about, like, what the birth was going to be like and that I got this V-back, I would tear up just thinking about it. And even just, like, watching or hearing other people's birth stories, whenever it got to that part, I would get totally choked up. And I didn't cry. I was just, like, so drained and just overwhelmed. And I thought I was going to feel this, like, major euphoria. But it was kind of just, like, just very, like, out of it. And I don't know, just, I guess, just exhausted and somewhat amazed and then I had to deliver the placenta and get stitched up and that was again like really uncomfortable 
And then they wanted me to go pee. And I had drank so much water. I forgot to mention this too. So I had this whole like list of things from my first labor that I wanted to make sure that I didn't do in this labor. And one of them was that whole like 33 hours I was in labor. I didn't eat or drink anything. And so this labor, I, I wanted to make sure I stayed hydrated. And so towards the end of the labor, I was like super thirsty. So I was drinking a ton of water. And so every time I was pushing, I was like throwing up water. So I was basically just like so full of water and I couldn't pee when they were trying to get me to pee. So they were like running water, dipping my fingers into like containers of water. And this whole time, like my husband's out there with a the baby and I just had this new baby and here I am like in the bathroom. I can't even see her. So I finally come back to the bed and then they're like, okay, well, why don't you go try to go again? So I try to go again. I still couldn't go. So we finally had to like ask for a straight catheter. Um, the doula was like, oh, it's a great way. It'll just, you know, drain your bladder and then they'll take it right out and nothing else to stay in, you know. And so when they did that, I had over 1,200 milliliters of like pee that came out, which was a ton. It was crazy how big that thing was. And then so after that, they come in, the doctor comes in and he's like, oh, so now we need to get you to sign the consent for delivery. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, well, you didn't sign it before the birth, so we need you to sign it now. And it was just like so crazy that it all happened so fast that we had to like sign the paper afterwards. So I was like, okay, but somebody has to take a picture of me signing this after I've already had the baby. And so I think we had arrived at the hospital at like, oh, I'm completely blanking out on what time she was born. I think we got to the hospital at like 9.53 and she was born at 10, she was born at 10.23. So like by the time we got through triage in the delivery room and my husband got up there, you know, we were maybe at the hospital for like 25, 30 minutes. It was all pretty crazy. But yeah, I mean, I got the view back and it was, it was really exciting. I just, I think I was in shock that it was not euphoric at the moment because I had expected that to just feel this like crazy excitement that it had happened because you know you hear everyone else's story and nobody really mentions that like they were kind of just like okay well that just happened now I just like literally want to just like lay here and like you know I'm just so done (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I think I had like a little bit of a different ending than I've heard in a lot of the stories I've listened to. You know, that's the thing is like everybody's journey is so different. Even like at the end of every, each one of my feedbacks was so different. I remember my last birth, my last baby, she came so fast, like so fast. She was out and I was like still trying to process what the heck was going on. I like, I, I didn't <laughs> even really push. I pushed once. And she was out. Like that's it. And, and I still, like, couldn't, like, mentally register that she was here. And my friend did a great job editing my birth video to where I don't look, like, completely clueless. But, like, that was my fourth baby. Like, you would see right <laughs> now that I would have learned <laughs> that once the baby's out, she's out. You know, you, I mean, like, anyways, it's just so crazy how everybody's journey is so different. So, yeah. That is I so that. funny. Oh, and another yeah. funny thing is that, like, so after I had her and everything and I'm laying there and I was like so I know I just had like an unmedicated birth but could I get some drugs now (laughs) and they're like sure do you want some Motrin and I was like 
I guess. You're like, how about a <laughs> There's something stronger? <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. In case you guys didn't know already, I am a total data junkie. I love statistics and probability and all sorts of that. Like, I am kind of geek out about data. And I wanted to share with you today a little bit of data on GBS. We talked a little bit in Jenny's story about her having GBS. And typically, when you test GBS positive, the hospital, like, get there a couple hours in advance. So they have time to give you a round of antibiotics. And just to protect your baby from contracting group B strep during. And wouldn't you know, I have some statistics for you on that. And it's so funny because just like with VBAC, GBS is really a thing where you see the variety of people's opinions with the risks associated with a particular event happening and what their decision is based on it. So like with VBAC, you know, we, can't, we know that VBAC statistically, having a uterine rupture is less than 1% chance of that, period. And then of that, of that uterine rupture being catastrophic, leading to permanent injury or worse, is significantly less than that. So really, your, your odds are really great, but, but it does happen. And to some people, that's too big of a risk. So they opt for a repeat C-section, and, and that's okay. And we see the same thing with group B strep, and I'm going to go over some numbers here, but a lot of people the risk of GBS is enough that and antibiotics are not a big deal. So they say, yeah, no problem. I'll show up to the hospital a little early, get a couple rounds of antibiotics to protect me and my baby. But the other side of that, you see, yeah, but the risk of antibiotics doing damage to the baby's gut health or there's a few other things we can talk about in our blog is bigger than the chance of actually contracting GBS. So I want to just not get antibiotics while I'm in labor. And it's really funny because the same set of data is there for everybody. And it really just goes to support the fact that everyone has a right to make a decision based on their specific circumstances and what their intuition is telling them. But are you ready for the data yet? Does anyone care about this? Like, but me, like, because I, I'm pretty sure I might be alone in my data geekiness, but... You're not, you're not. <laughs> so, in the early 1990s, ACOG put out a recommendation that for routine testing of group B strep in women um, in their last trimester, around 36 weeks pregnant, and since then, about 36, 30, roughly 30% of women will test positive so that's when antibiotics during labor are recommended. And it's actually pretty impressive because since the early 90s, early GBS infection in a newborn went from 1.7 cases per 1,000 births since routine testing of GBS started and antibiotics given for positive testing. It's dropped from 1.7 per 1,000 to 0.25 cases per 1,000. So to give you some perspective on that, the percentage before this started getting implemented was 0.17% of babies whose moms tested positive for group B strep would get GBS infection within seven days of being born, 0.17%. And then after some antibiotics started being administered, it dropped to 0.025%. And I know like 
once you start talking like less than a percentage for evidence, it kind of just like all seems like the same amount. But that's a really drastic reduction. But for some people, the one, the 0.17% chance might not be that big of a deal. It might be the risk of the antibiotics affecting the baby might be a heavier risk to them than the 0.17% chance of their baby being infected. But anyways, I found my data on the website called evidencebasedbirth.com. They linked to the CDC's website, the CDC report from 2012. So I'm going to link to that study and reference that information and a few more interventions that you might want to know about that are birth-related in our blog that you can find today on our website, utahvbacklink.com slash blog. So check over there. We're going to give you a formula that will tell you all about how to determine which interventions might be necessary for you and how to determine the benefits and risks and different alternatives available to you during that. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jenny, for sharing your story with us. And really, though, like, that's a pretty awesome story of you pushing in the car in the snowstorm on the way to the hospital. Like, to me, that sounds like a pretty awesome birth. (laughs) (laughs) It was. And thanks for having me. And just to everyone out there trying to have a VBAC, you just believe in yourself because really, I feel like that's, you know, you can do it. So after, I have a question, so after your birth was like all that and everything, were you just like, did you and your husband just laugh at like some of the things that you did? Oh yeah, and and with the doula, like we just kept, I just kept like retelling the story about him saying they were Braxton Hicks. And his whole defense was like, he's like, but it helps you, but it helps you to stay relaxed. And I'm like, no, it did not. No, it didn't. And then, um. I talked to him just before this, and he's like, don't tell the part about the Braxton Hicks. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm telling that part. Yeah, he's going to hear it. (laughs) I'm like, you will never live that down. I love it. And I'm seriously so glad it wasn't him beeping. I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. It was in the face. It was my husband. (laughs) (laughs) We are always looking for more inspiring stories. To share your story or possibly be on one of our podcasts, post on social media with a hashtag #WhyWeVBack and tag at the VBAC link, or contact us from our website. Be sure to rate us and share and leave your reviews. We are excited to hear what you think. For families local to Utah, be sure to check out our website UtahVBackLink. Dot com for more information on our VBAC childbirth classes and doula services. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited for you to begin your journey with us.